The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. So I'm really glad you guys are here this morning. This is, if you haven't been with us yet for the next couple of weeks, we just started a new series this summer that's called Mythbusters. And in our series, we are tackling different um, commonly held misconceptions about the Christian faith. So it could be misconceptions or misunderstandings about God, about the Bible, about the church, about Christianity in general, Christians specifically, all sorts of things. And in many cases, the thing that we're looking at or considering, um, these misunderstandings are actually spread by people in the church because we might not have a really good understanding of either what the Bible teaches or what Christian experience is, is like. Um, in the first week, uh, on Mother's Day, fittingly enough, we tackled the idea that a perfect home does not guarantee perfect kids. And we talked about the reality of what it looks like, what the Bible teaches us about parenting and, and all of that. Last week, we set the stage really for this week. Last week, we tackled the myth that says a valley means a wrong turn. In other words, if you find yourself in a position in life or maybe a season of difficulty and suffering in life, oh, then that must mean we didn't hear God correctly. We must have done something wrong, took a wrong turn. So we should turn around and go back and, and fix that somewhere because surely God wouldn't have us in a valley of difficulty. And we talked about that and the reality of that and, and the importance as a church that we have a theology of suffering and an understanding because if we don't do that and we don't acknowledge that, then we prevent people who are struggling from coming into places that are supposed to provide hope. And everybody that comes in here looks around and thinks, man, everybody here's got their act together. I wish it worked for me. I guess Christianity just doesn't work. I'll move on. And that is not what we're called to do as a church. So we talked about that in depth last week. This week really sets up to come right off of that in a way that's really important to me. Um, this week's topic deals with issues of mental health, depression, anxiety, and suffering. And I know for many people, we hear the phrase mental health, and we go almost into this old school stigma, like mental health, that's just crazy people, right? And, and that, it is so much more than that, and so much more significant than that, and so much more nuanced, and so much more important that we understand. And I can tell you, ever since I opened up years ago and started talking about my own wrestlings with anxiety, and, and some history through other members of my family of depression, I've talked to many people. I see faces in this room right now. I, I know there are so many people that have wrestled either through seasons or through ongoing struggles with depression, anxiety, hopelessness, uh, suicidal temptations or experiences, hardship, and grave, grave difficulty. And so for you, I'm praying that this morning actually brings you some hope. And for others, if you're not in that and you're like, man, that just doesn't affect me, I pray to God you're right, but I would say pay attention. Because for most people that hit that, they would have never saw what was coming, coming down the pipe. And, and on top of that, as Wes is going to get into, this is our opportunity to be able to model Christ to those who are suffering. So, so I'm, we're really, really blessed. So a couple of weeks ago, uh, my friend Wesley Town, who he was the lead pastor at Ecclesia in Eugene. He's down in the San Diego area in Southern California now. He got a hold of me just randomly and was like, hey, I'm going to be in uh, Medford over Memorial Day weekend if you want a weekend off from teaching, if you want someone to speak. And we were planning on hitting this topic, but not until later in the summer. And uh, Wes has actually kind 
kind of devoted himself in this last season of life to this specific topic. Um, he's podcasting and blogging and going around and speaking about this in different areas. We'll share some of those resources with you at the end. Um, but when he offered to come, I was like, oh, we're moving the schedule around. We're really blessed to have him here speaking about a topic that's near and dear to both of our lives. So here it is. Will you give it up and welcome Wesley Town? Good morning. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Good. I uh, flew in yesterday from rainy Southern California. So I feel at home. It's been the wettest, coldest winter in over a hundred years in Southern California. So I touched down. I was like, wow, this just feels like, you know, Southern California. Great to be here with you guys. I want to first say uh, thanks for having me. Uh, it's a blessing for me to be able to speak on this subject anywhere, um, especially in churches. And this morning, I, I'm going to deconstruct a lot of false ideas um, that are perpetuated in Christianity about mental health. And uh, I hope that it's helpful and eye-opening to you. So uh, if you do have a Bible, turn with me to Genesis 1, verse 31. Genesis 1, 31. And, and I want to say before I get into uh, talking about mental health and following Jesus, that um, I've known Jeff for years now, and he, uh, he's been an encouragement to me. Um, and I've watched him as a pastor. He pastors He's pastored for many years, one of my family members, and he has been such a kind and thoughtful and loving um, and present pastor to this individual that's in my family, and I just want to let you guys know that you have, you have the real deal. You have, a, you have an amazing pastor. Um, we people who are spiritual leaders, we are imperfect. We have flaws, but the heart is, is important in what we do, and so uh, this guy's got the real deal heart, and I just, I just want to just say that to you guys and encourage you that you've got a great church. Uh, so, so let's talk about mental health. Jesus, bless our time. Thank you so much for the opportunity to open up our hearts and the Bible and our lives to the reality of what we face on this earth. And God, I just pray that you would help us to really open up our hearts to this subject, something that is not talked about often in churches, but is so prevalent in society as a whole. Give us, give us an understanding, a framework, and guide us in how to think about and relate to these subjects as followers of Jesus. We love you, Lord. In your name, amen. So mental health is a popular topic in our culture today, right? Like, it's everywhere. Uh, athletes are talking about it. Kevin Love, who's an NBA star. How many of you are into the NBA playoffs right now? Come on now. Warriors, go Warriors. So I love basketball. I played basketball through college, and I just love it. So um, Kevin Love, who's from Oregon, He's an NBA superstar. A couple years ago, he had a really, really difficult situation 
with mental health. And so he started talking about it and writing on it. He wrote an article in the Players' Tribune about how uh, at the initial, uh, he had turned 29 and it was the beginning of the NBA season. They were playing game 10 and he wasn't feeling well. He was dealing with a lot of family stress. He wasn't sleeping and he just started to have a struggle with anxiety. So he's in game 10. He basically explains that like he, he couldn't really think logically. He was struggling uh, with his heart racing and feeling dizzy. Uh, at halftime, he just didn't feel like himself. And so he came back, third quarter, he's playing, coach calls a timeout, and he starts having a full-on panic attack. Coach cues in like something's wrong with him, like he, he wasn't present, he uh, wasn't really engaged, uh, and so the coach notices that, and he told the coach, I'll be right back. He ran into the locker room. Now, you don't do this when you're in the game. You just don't leave time out and run into the locker room, like that's not normal. So he runs into the locker room, and uh, his head spinning, his heart racing, he feels like he's going to die, he's going to faint. He, he starts going through every room just frantically. And next thing he knows, he's laying down on the ground, hoping he's not going to die. Full-blown panic attack. And he talks about how in our culture, men are taught to be tough. Don't share your feelings. Don't open up. Don't deal with your issues. But that's actually very unhealthy. We live in a culture that is talking about mental health everywhere. NBA players, pop culture, Justin Bieber. Any believers in here? No, not one. Come on, Medford, not one. No believers. Justin Bieber has, has put a pause on music to deal with long-term depression. And he's going to counseling every single week. Spirit, he's going to see a pastor, he's going to see a professional counselor every single week. So pop culture is talking about it. Every day I read the news, and as I'm scrolling through my Apple news feed, I see article after article dealing with depression, anxiety, stress, mental health, the brain science, all of this. Everybody's talking about it. But it's rarely talked about in the church. And when it is talked about, there's a stigma, there's false ideas uh, People feel ashamed. They don't feel like they can open up. They feel less than as a Christian. But all of those concepts really aren't from the Bible or the heart of God. Let me give you a few uh, statistics on mental health just to help paint a picture. One in five adults in America experience a mental illness. That's just those that are known. One in five. 42 million adults in America live with an anxiety disorder, an ongoing perpetual anxiety disorder. Depression is the leading cause of disability worldwide. 20% of youth ages 13 through 18 live with a mental health condition. 37% of young adults reported receiving help or treatment from mental health professionals. Suicide is the third leading cause of death in youth ages 10 to 24. A UK study in 2017 concluded that more than one in three teenage girls suffer from anxiety and depression. It's pervasive. 
It's widespread. And although the idea of mental health is popular in our discussion and culture and and, in sports and in social media and our news feed, most people don't know what it means or don't have a working definition of mental health. So I've come up with one, obviously using other resources, but also my own ideas. Uh, So here's my definition of mental health. You can write this down if you're a note taker. If you're not a note taker, I always say write it down anyways. Um, Mental health encompasses a person's well-being psychologically, emotionally, socially, and spiritually. So mental health would have those four components. And I think the question we need to ask this morning and answer is, can a follower of Jesus have a mental health condition? One of the reasons we ask questions like that in the church, especially in our Western, uh, uh, you know, world today, secular Western world, is that we have a really uh, insufficient theology of what it means to be human. We really haven't discussed that in church. We haven't built a theology around that. We haven't explored the, the facets and nuances of Scripture that talk about being human and what it's like to be human in the world that we live in. And so I want to lay kind of a theological foundation, and then we're going to explore, kind of paint a picture of different people who struggled with mental health conditions in Scripture. Sound good? So let's turn to Genesis 131. This is an awesome passage. This is the summation of God's creation. Notice what God said about his creation after he created uh, the world, the material world, everything in it, and then he filled it with life. God said, verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. It wasn't just good, it was very good. It was amazing. That's what I would say, or awesome. It wasn't just amazing or awesome, it was really amazing and really awesome. Now, what does that mean, though? The Hebrew word good, tov, in this context, it means good as in just as God designed it. You could put it this way. God commends his creation as well-ordered, complete, abounding in life forms, and in perfect harmony with himself and his design. It was functioning in symmetry and harmony with, with his intention, his order, his design, the way he created life in every form was exactly as he intended it to be. That includes every facet of a human being. Every facet of humans, every part of what makes you you, God created. God designed that. And, and, and that means as we look back at this definition, mental health encompasses a person's well-being psychologically, emotionally, socially, and spiritually. That means God created the human mind, the psychological aspect. God created human emotions, the emotional aspect. God created the blueprint for human relationships, the relational aspect of mental health. And God created humans to be connected in relationship with him. That's the spiritual aspect. So when we think of mental health, the first thing we need to do is lay a foundation. What is it? And then realize that God created every single aspect of mental health. So when God says everything is very good, that means the human mind was in perfect harmony with his design. 
That means human emotions were in perfect harmony with his design. That means human relationships were in perfect harmony with his design. And that means humans in relationship with him were in perfect harmony with his design. Kind of like the Apple Watch when you unbox it, right? Anybody have an Apple Watch in here? I love mine. I'm a runner, so I love the Apple Watch. And I got the Apple Watch 4 because it has an EKG monitor. It's pretty awesome. So the Apple Watch, when you take it out of the box and you put it on for the first time, it's working just as it was designed. And it's interesting. There's a lot of components to it. There's hardware and software. There's hardware, like, you know, what we see, what we touch, the touchscreen, this crown, all of this. This was designed, but it was designed also to function in perfect harmony with the software. And all of these brilliant minds came up with how all of these pieces and components work together. It's a, it's a pretty cool thing. Now, here's, here's the reality. Genesis 1.31 was God's intention, but then Genesis 3 showed up. The human mind, human emotions, human relationships, human, humans in relationship with God, all of it was functioning perfect, in perfect harmony with His design, and then human beings decided to do what God said not to do. And when the first two human beings chose to do what God said not to do, that was the beginning of the undoing of God's design in humanity. Everything that God designed, all of God's intention, all of this harmony and perfection and symmetry with what he designed, all of that began this long historical process of undoing his creative design. It was all deteriorating and distorted post the fall, post Genesis 3. And guess what reality we live in? We live in the post-Genesis 3 reality. We live in a world that is being undone. We live in a world that has this erosion away from God's design, away from His heart, away from His intention. And so, as we're thinking about the reality of this brokenness and mental health, there's three important things we need to realize now in Genesis chapter 3 on. First of all, number one, a broken world. We live in a world disconnected from God's design, which means we live in a broken world. We feel that brokenness physically, mentally, emotionally, relationally, and spiritually. Does that make sense? Every facet of what God designed in harmony with his intention now has eroded away from his intention. And so we feel the brokenness in all facets of our being, sometimes more than others, as far as the degree of feeling that. We feel that in a broken world. Second, the image of God was disfigured. So the world's now broken, the image of God is disfigured. The image of God is essentially that God created us in His image, we reflect Him, we have shared attributes, we're to represent Him on this earth, but now that's marred. Now that's, that's uh, you know, it shows up in humans, but it's convoluted, it's marred, it's disfigured. And so we live in a world where the image of God is distorted, let me give you an example. Like, God is love, right? It's like 
the number one uh, attribute of God that we talk about. God is love. And as men and women created the image of God, we're supposed to reflect that part of Him, right? Represent Him by loving. Our love is distorted, though. Like, let's say, like, a 17-year-old girl and a 17-year-old guy are dating. They've been dating for two months, and they're, like, infatuated with one another. And the guy's like, I love you so much. And she's like, you do? And she starts crying, I love you too, you know? Like, they're all into this, like, infatuation. And the guy, the guy really loves her because, you know, he's getting something from her. There's a physical connection in the relationship. There's lust. And, and, and he's like, I love you so much. Well, wait a minute. Love is created by God, but that's a distortive love, right? That, that's a disfigured love. That's a marred love. That's somebody saying, I love, but they're not loving with the right motivations or intentions or uh, relational connections that are healthy that God designed. And so it's distorted. So we have all of these facets of God built into us, but now they're distorted because we live in a post-Genesis 3 world. We're not perfectly in harmony with God's design as humans, right? Mentally, emotionally, relationally, and spiritually. Then, number three, we feel the effects of the fall. We live in a world where our minds, our emotions, our relationships, our connection to God have all been affected by the fall. And, and I like to say it this way. We are all imperfect, broken humans living in an imperfect, broken world. You guys feel that? Do you ever wake up in the morning or you have months or even years where you just feel the weight of being an imperfect and broken human in an imperfect and broken world? I do, right? That's the reality we live in. So when we're asking the question about mental health or we're talking about this in church, that's the foundation. All of these facets God created, but now all of these facets are in this sphere of brokenness. We live in this sphere of sin and degradation and deterioration and brokenness and disfigurement from all that God designed. And so we feel the weight of all of that in this world, in the life that God has given us. So you're like, Wesley, Wesley, okay, cool. I get that. Like, yeah, I agree with you. But where is their mental health in Scripture? I'm so glad you asked me that question. Let me show you. Turn with me to Job chapter 3. Job chapter 3. This, is actually, this has actually become the favorite, my favorite book in the Bible. I, I found so many like profound, life-changing truths in the book of Job. And especially when it's related to the human condition and what we go through. Job chapter 3. Now, let me just paint a little picture of Job's life. Job, in Job chapter 1, Job was the most influential, successful, and spiritual person on the face of the earth. So I'm like, dude, dude had it going on. Like, he was like the spiritual Michael Jordan. He was like the successful LeBron James. Like, he was the man. No, this guy's saying no, Steph Curry. Um, so, so he was like, he was the ultimate in every area. And sometimes we think, you know, super successful people, they're immune to suffering and pain. 
No, that's not true. So over a series of tragic events, Job lost everything. He lost his kids. He lost his business. He lost his employees. His wife told him to curse God and die. And then he was ravaged with a long-term health condition that was just eating him alive, literally. And after he experienced all of those, he spoke these words, Job chapter 3. This is one of the most vivid, honest, raw um, kind of narratives in Scripture. So I, I want you just to listen to these words, and then I'll unpack them. After this, Job, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job said, let the day perish on which I was born, and the night that said, a man is conceived. Let that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor light shine upon it. Let gloom and deep darkness claim it. Let clouds dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. That night, let thick darkness seize it. Let it not rejoice among the days of the year. No, no, no happy birthdays. Let it not come into the number of months. Behold, let that night be barren. Let no joyful cry enter it. Let those who curse it, curse it, who curse the day, who are ready to rouse up Leviathan. Let the stars of its dawn be dark. Let it hope for light, but have none. Nor see the eyelids of the morning, because it did not shut the doors of my mother's womb, nor hide trouble from my eyes. Why did I not die at birth? Come out from the womb and expire? Why did the knees receive me, or why the breast that I should nurse? For then I would have lain down and been quiet. I would have slept. Then I would have been at rest with kings and counselors and princes. Verse 15 and then 16, he says, Or why was I not hidden, stillborn, translated miscarriage? Why wasn't I miscarried? As infants who never see the light. There the wicked cease from troubling and there the weary are at rest. There the prisoners are at ease together. They hear not the voice of the taskmaster the small and the great are there, and the slave is free from his master. Why is light given to him who is in misery, and life to the bitter in soul, who long for death, but it comes not, and dig for it more than hidden treasures, who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they find the grave? Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? For my signs have come instead of my bread, and my groanings are poured out like water. For the thing that I fear upon me and what I dread befalls me, I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but trouble comes. When's the last time you heard the mo most spiritual person on earth say those words? Now, this is ancient poetic language, and so I, wa I want to try to like unbury some of this language in our modern vernacular. Job was, uh, you can put up the first slide. Job was experiencing deep emotional and psychological pain over intense suffering. He cursed the day of his birth. He didn't want any joy in the fact that his life existed on earth. He wished he would have died at birth. That's what he said. He wished that he would have been the result of a miscarriage. He was in a state of misery and turmoil. He was groaning and weeping, and he longed for death. 
This is your Bible. This is what the most spiritual man on the face of the earth felt under intense suffering and loss. Now, we might say, okay, like I get that. I want to put that into modern terminology. He was in a state of complete brokenness mentally, emotionally, relationally, and spiritually. The words that we would use today are depression, despair. He was numb. He was joyless. He was wrecked, and he was possibly suicidal. He just wanted to die. His suffering, his pain was so great and so burdensome that he over and over, uh, he has this refrain about he wish he would die. He, wish he, he wishes he would have never existed upon this earth. Well, when's the last time we talked about this in church? This reality of human brokenness and suffering and pain and mental health as we're going through life in a broken, fallen world that is deteriorating and disfigured and distorted and slowly eroding away from God's design. This is what Job experienced. Let me give you another example, another picture of mental health in Scripture. Let's talk about Paul now, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, 2 Corinthians actually uses the term affliction or suffering more than any other book in the New Testament. Paul talks about suffering more than any New Testament author. And he also talks about comfort more than any New Testament author. Isn't that interesting? So Paul, who probably was the greatest Christian leader in the history of Christianity, so over 2,000 years, the most influential, he, he really started the birth of church planting throughout the Roman world, uh, which, you know, we all have benefited from. And so this guy was incredible, so influential spiritually. But I want you to just get a little picture into some of the stuff he went through. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 8, he writes, this is like an autobiography of his struggles. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. Now, Asia is a big territory. It's a province. There's many cities. So something happened in this province as he was planting churches and pastoring and leading as an apostle. We don't know what it was. Some people think it was a major health condition. Other people think it was a result of persecution that he thought he was going to die, but we don't know. But here's what he says he felt. Check this out. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Like, if your pastor came up in American Christianity and said that, like, people would be freaking out. <laughs> but this is real humanness under suffering and intense feelings of pain and the emotions that result from this. He says, we're so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Check out two words. I, I want to paint this picture. Two words he uses. First, the term burden. It comes from a Greek verb, bareo. It was a term used in the Greek and Hellenistic world outside of the Bible for oppressive suffering. They used it uh, around subjects like illness, depression, uh, burdensome taxation. So, so outside of biblical language, biblical world, people use this term all the time. 
for depression, for illness, for the intense, massive amounts of taxes they had to pay, right? When Paul uses this term, first century, in this context, it refers to a mental or psychological condition. This suffering was so heavy on him, so intense, so much pressure, that he was in this state of a mental and psychological condition. Second term he used here is despaired. Another Greek term, because the New Testament was written in Koine Greek, this term's referring to being in extreme despair, implying both anxiety and fear. So, not only was he so emotionally overwhelmed that he was despairing of life itself, it was too heavy for him, but he was in this state of anxiety and fear. It could also be translated to be at total loss psychologically. You got Job, the most spiritual man on earth. You've got Paul, the most influential person in Christianity, uh, all experiencing mental health struggles. What about Jesus? You know, the funny thing in Christianity is we, we often have equated mental health struggles with um, sin. Like, oh my goodness, you're anxious. You must be sinning. Because doesn't Philippians 4, 6, and 7 tell us never to be anxious, right? Uh, so I'm writing about this and, and teaching about this all the time. The term used for anxiety, this is just a freebie for you, the term used for anxiety that same term is used positively also in the New Testament. So there's positive anxiety, and then there's anxiety that God is trying to help us with. He doesn't want us to carry all the burdens and concerns of life obsessively. So there's an anxiety that's unhealthy for us, but there's an anxiety that is normal as human beings. I don't have time to get into it, but all that to say we can't equate mental health with sin. Like, oh, you have anxiety or you have depression, so you're doing something wrong. You're unspiritual. You're not praying enough. You don't love God enough. You're really not following Jesus. There must be something underneath the, the, you know, uh, the surface of your life that is sinful. That's why you have mental health. That is a false idea. Because check out Jesus. Maybe you've never thought about this. Maybe this is new. But I want you to see what Jesus experienced as he was on this earth in this sphere of brokenness because Jesus was fully God and fully human. So he was fully human as God, so he felt the effects of being a human in a broken world. Isaiah 53, verse 3. Turning your Bible there. Isaiah 53, verse 3. This is a description of, of, you know, kind of Jesus' state on earth. Isaiah 53, verse 3, when you're there, say, I'm so ready. Yes. We can have fun in church, right? It's, it's a dialogue. He, here, here's Jesus. He was despised and rejected by man, so he was a social outcast. People hated him. People weren't like, oh, you're Jesus, you're the son of God, like, I love you, I'm going to follow you. No, like, he had more rejection socially, relationally, than acceptance. Some of us feel that, right? Over and over throughout our life, we felt rejected. We felt like we're on the outskirts. We felt like we're outcasts. But check this out. The next 
part of this sentence says this, he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. When's the last time you thought about Jesus being a man of sorrows and constantly acquainted with grief? Like, if we were to think about Christianity now, we would think Jesus would always be happy and smiling and praising God for all the hard stuff in life. And like, yes, like, oh, you know, like, I'm Jesus and I'm in this perpetual continuum of happiness. Uh, That's not the biblical Jesus. He's described as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. The term sorrows in Hebrew was commonly used for mental anguish. Interesting. The term grief was translated in context of sickness, like physical sickness, or a sick heart and mind. Burdened by the fallen nature of man, the brokenness of humanity, the rejection he felt, all the trials he experienced, Jesus also struggled in a broken world, being 100% God and 100% man. These are thoughts that we probably have never thought of, maybe some of us, but we need to get these things out in the openness to deconstruct the stigmas of talking about these subjects because so many people walk into churches. I have estimated 70% of people that walk into a church on a Sunday either are dealing with some sort of pain, suffering, or mental health. That's a lot of people. Jesus felt the emotions, the pain, the challenges of these things on earth, and he was perfect. Check out Luke chapter 22, verse 44. Another picture of Jesus feeling these burdens on earth. Luke 22, verse 44. By the way, one Hebrew scholar translated Isaiah 53, uh, verse 3, as a man of pain and sickness a man of pain and sickness. That's interesting. Luke 22, verse 44, Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, which is like, think of like, it's right across the street from the temple. So he'd be looking at the temple in Jerusalem, uh, the epicenter of worship, and he's praying that God would somehow help him to not go to the cross, not drink the cup of suffering because he knew it was gonna be intensely painful. Um, And so, He's in this place, and he's in agony, verse 44, Luke 22, and he's praying earnestly, and notice what happens physically. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Whoa, what's that? It's a rare medical phenomenon called hematrodrosis, hematrodrosis. So I did some research on this in some medical journals. And I want to read to you just the medical side of this. Hematrodrosis is an extremely rare condition in which you sweat blood. It's so rare that many people don't know it exists or if it's real. But sweating blood has been seen throughout history. The Bible mentions Jesus sweating blood while praying before crucifixion. Leonardo da Vinci wrote about soldiers sweating blood before battle. Hematrodrosis generally happens when a person feels intense fear or stress. Someone facing death may have this kind of fear or stress, for example. When you're under stress, your body goes into a fight or flight mode. This is a natural reaction to a perceived threat. It helps us to survive potentially dangerous situations. 
the body releases chemicals like adrenaline and cortisol, the stress hormone, that prepares us either to fight or to flee danger. We become more alert and our energy increases. This bodily response is usually temporary and doesn't cause long-term health damage. But in rare instances, the flight or, fight or flight response can trigger the rupture of capillaries in the body. Capillaries are tiny blood vessels located throughout tissue. They carry essential nutrients to different parts of the body. Capillaries are also located around the sweat glands. In cases of severe fear or stress, these tiny blood vessels can burst and cause blood to exit the body through the sweat glands. Jesus was under such emotional, psychological stress that he literally began to sweat drops of blood. This is Jesus. This is God in the flesh, feeling the weight and anxiety and stress of the cross approaching him, and he's sweating drops of blood. I say all this to say the Bible talks about human brokenness in every aspect. I can't paint all the pictures and I can't get into all the nuances of it, but the Bible talks about anxiety, depression, stress, fear, physical pain, emotional pain, psychological distress, relationships fractured, social outcasts, family dysfunction, trauma, and much, much more. And in the Western church, we need to have a more robust theology of what it means to be human in an imperfect and broken world so that we can learn pathways to follow Jesus as we're dealing with the hard, painful stuff in life. So where do we go from here? Those of us who struggle with mental health, those of us who come here suffering today, how do we think about suffering, mental health in particular this morning, and following Jesus? I have eight things for you. Hopefully you write all these things down. Number one, let's wrap this up. Number one, understand, this is where it all begins, understand the reality of pervasive brokenness. I painted the picture uh, biblically this morning of pervasive brokenness. It's real. And just as in our society people have health conditions or somebody breaks their bone, so too people in our society have broken emotions, broken brains, broken relationships. They feel deep internal brokenness to an intense degree at times in their life. And so we need to understand the reality of pervasive brokenness in our world. Just like Job felt those things, so too many people who love Jesus, who follow Jesus, who want to live their life in relationship with God, they feel those things as well. Second, be aware of mental health challenges in a broken world. I think if, if society is talking about this, if people in our culture are dealing with this, the church should be educated around these subjects. Because we want to be a, a place of hope for a hurting world. 
We want to be a hospital to broken people. We want to help and encourage people, not hurt people by false ideas and, and, and shameful communication over these subjects. We should be able to come in church with zero shame dealing with suffering, with zero shame dealing with anxiety, with zero shame dealing with depression, with zero shame dealing with an eating disorder. We should be able to come to church and come to people that care for us in the church and say, today I'm coming here. I'm not happy. I'm not pumped. I'm not like putting on a smile. I'm struggling. My life is painful. My heart is heavy. I have deep depression and I need your prayer and I need some help and encouragement today. Because that's real life, right? We have too, too many facades in American Christianity that hinder people from being open about what they're really facing but we can just deconstruct that. Just in my life, personally, I feel God has called me. My wife has a serious medical condition, serious brain condition, and so this has been the impetus to my passion around these subjects, and I've been traveling and writing and speaking on these for about five or six years and um, building out my thoughts, and so I just find that nobody's talking about this and educating the church around these subjects but we need to. Anxiety, stress, depression, all of these mental health conditions we need to learn about. And if you're struggling, there's so much out there to help you, to educate you, to give you hope and pathways to healing. If you're not struggling, there's so much out there to educate you, prepare you, because you may face a trial someday. You may face one of these things, uh, one of these conditions someday. You may have somebody close to you and that education will help you to love them and care for them someday. So educate yourself. Third, normalize human pain and suffering in a broken world. Normalize it. That means we need to end the stigma. And let's end it in the church, right? Let's be real, let's be open, and let's be helpful to the people that are dealing with these things. It's hard, it's painful, and it's real, and even Jesus felt some of these emotions that we feel. Even Jesus had deep stress, pain, anxieties, so on and so forth, that we feel as humans in a broken world. So we need to end the stigma. We need to look at the theology. It's real. It's all over Scripture, and we need to build a healthy theology of what it means to be human in a broken world. Amen? Fourth, for you this morning who are dealing with suffering, for you here this morning that are dealing with depression, you're dealing with maybe an eating disorder or stress, you don't know what to do, panic attacks, anxiety, and you don't know how to navigate it or what to do with it, I want you to first and foremost know that God loves you in your brokenness. No need for guilt, shame, don't hang your head. Don't think God is disappointed in you. Don't think God is mad at you. Don't think that God is looking down at you in a negative way. God is looking down at you today, and He loves you more passionately than ever before. That's the real God. He's not shaming you. He's not beating you up. He, he's not 
hurling down negativity upon your life, if you've believed that, that is not who God is. Jesus loves you in your brokenness. He's not afraid of it. He's not like, oh, your brokenness really makes me uncomfortable. Like, I don't know how to relate to that. No, he can relate to every facet and nuance of our pain and brokenness in a way that no human can. Isn't that beautiful? Next, know that God is, compa- that God is a compassionate and caring father. Reframe your view of God When God looks at the burdens and pains and struggles we face on this earth, he is looking at us as a compassionate and caring father. His heart is connected to your heart. His care is in your life. He is, with grace, giving you the ability to sustain you through whatever troubles, trials, mental health challenges that you face on this earth. God is there for you. And sometimes we have a distorted picture of God when we're going through hard stuff. And we need to reframe our understanding of God. He is loving, He is caring, and He is compassionate. Sixth, reflect God's nature to those who are struggling with mental health. Don't be like Job's friends. Do you know anything about them? They knew the Bible, they knew every theological argument, they went to church. They knew everything about God conceptually, but they were nothing like God. They were mean. They were judgmental. They didn't allow um, Job to feel the pain, the suffering, the depression, the struggles he went through. They judged him spiritually. They judged him as a human being. They, they didn't understand his messiness because hard things are messy. They were hurtful instead of helpful. And at the end of the book, God rebukes Job's friends and commends Job's, Job, pardon me. So don't be like Job's friends, be like Jesus. Because there's a lot of broken people in the context of your life, and they need you to be like Jesus, not like Job's friends. And here's the problem with a great Bible teaching churches. You can know a lot about the Bible and be nothing like Jesus. So let's Let's know a lot about the Bible and be a lot like Jesus. Amen? And let's reflect him to hurting people, not judging them, not slinging scriptures at them like, you know, I'm going to fix you with all my Bible verses, sitting in their pain, listening to their pain, loving them through their pain, showing commitment to them in their journey, caring for them, showing compassion, not having all the solutions, not trying to fix them. Listen, the reason we do that is we're uncomfortable with pain in a secular culture. Secularism teaches there's no meaning and purpose for pain. Therefore, people suppress it or they try to fix it. Guess what we do as Christians? We suppress it or we try to fix it because we've been conditioned in a secular culture. No, we need to sit with people in it. We need to love them through it. We need to know it's hard and we need to let them know it's okay that it's hard, that you're gonna stick with them through what they're going through, amen? Seventh, invest in every area of your life as a disciple of Jesus. You know, we think of spiritual as only like read my Bible, pray, go to church. Spiritual means you begin to understand every part of you was created by God, so every part of you is important. 
And when we think of mental health, one of the problems that we're having in our culture today is that we have a lack of investment in, in facets of, of being a human, and therefore, we don't have strength. We ha- don't have buildup. We haven't built up healthy inputs or filter systems or lifestyles. When bad things happen, therefore, we don't know what to do with it, and we have no way to navigate through it. So my encouragement to you is to be proactive spiritually. You're like, yeah, obviously, we know that, Wesley. But that means your relationship with God. That means your emotions. That means your mind. That means your physical health. That means your relational health. All of those incorporate mental health. Every single one of those components of you, God created with a design and purpose. And if we neglect those components, we feel the effects of that. Does that make sense? Let me give you an example. And you're going to be like, oh, you know, don't tell me how to eat. But I'll just give you a picture. So God created our body, right? Our brain is connected to our gut. Did you know that? There's a nerve that runs between there. The, the uh, microbiome in our gut um, is connected to our brain. So what we put in our body affects our mood, affects our mental health condition. Did you know that? So if we feed our gut with bad food, processed, lots of sugar, lots of salt, that actually negatively affects our mental health. This is the beauty of God. Everything God created was supposed to work in harmony with one another, and every part of us is important to consider. So what we eat can actually be a detriment or can be beneficial to our mental health. That's just a funny illustration. I've got a million more, but I don't have time. But I think you guys get the point. God created every part of you. So invest in that. And then finally, if you're struggling today, if you're suffering today, there is hope for your life. There is hope in your present. How so? Jesus died for you. Jesus wants to be with you in your struggle. Jesus wants to forgive you. Jesus wants to write Uh, redeem you and write a new story and chapter in your life. Jesus wants you to know that he will walk with you through every hard thing in your life, every complex situation in your life. Jesus is present with you, and that is the root of our hope. I would rather walk with God through pain and suffering and mental health with God than without God. Because Jesus does things in our soul and our spirit around us that we need immensely in sustaining us and helping us through it. And so you have hope in the present, but you also have hope for your future. Because Genesis chapter 3 began this undoing of God's intention. And, and the end of the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22, Jesus comes back. He makes all things right. And every part of humanity and this earth is redeemed and restored back to God's design. We don't just have present hope, we have future hope. And we have hope in our present for better days ahead. And I wanna encourage you, you might think your situation is hopeless. You might think your situation is too heavy. I wanna encourage you this morning, and I believe this is from the heart of God. I've been praying for you guys for multiple days now, and I believe that there were gonna be people that came here this morning that needed to hear this. There is hope in your situation. 
I want you to believe that today. I want you to take that in emotionally and mentally. And I want you to begin to speak hope into your heart like the psalmist did when he said, why is my soul downcast within me? And then he spoke to himself internally. He said, hope in God. There's some people that need to hear that this morning. Hope in God. Jesus, I just thank you so much for every single person here today. I thank you for every person's heart, every person's context of life. There's people in here that are struggling, that feel broken and beat down and burdened, depressed, full of anxiety, taxed with stress, struggling. And you knew they would be here. And you wanted to speak love and hope and help into their soul today. I just feel right now, God, that you are touching people's hearts in here. And I just pray that they would receive that and that they would look to Jesus who can relate to them, who can help them, and who can walk with them through whatever they're going through. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Guys, I want to point out, um, everything he said was awesome, but I, I want to point two things out in particular to you guys. The, the first is this, um, that idea that he talked about, about investing in every area of our life. Like if we go to the doctor, that's normal. If we go to the dentist, that's normal. There's no stigma attached to any of that. But somehow we think like if we go talk to a counselor, that's like different. And I just want to tell you just for myself, it's one of the best things I've ever done. Um, it, it didn't take away anxiety. It didn't take away the threat of anxiety or, or necessarily eliminate my experiences with it. But having someone who is trained and godly, we need the godly peace because if our hope is ultimately in God putting things back together, we need that part. But, but having someone who is trained that could walk me through tools to deal with some of the stuff that I was dealing with has helped in ways I cannot possibly um, express to you guys. And, 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 and pastors, like we are more than willing as the pastors here at this church to meet with you and to pray with you and to talk with you. But what we've learned over the years is we might make really good pastors, but not great psychologists and counselors in a lot of ways. And, and so sometimes there's a place to know where your pay grade ends. Um, and so here at Heritage, we actually keep a list at our office of well-trained, godly men and women in this valley. And some have certain experiences in other areas over others, but, but we can help you navigate some of that to go talk to someone and just learn how to process things, either for you or for someone that you love that's, that's nearby. Which, which brings me to the second thing I wanted to emphasize that he said. That idea of displaying God's character to those who are suffering. Um, because like he said, you may not be dealing with it, but I guarantee you that everybody in here either knows or is dealing with some aspects of this themselves. And we have the opportunity to reflect the love and character of God as the visible manifestation of Jesus. That's why we're called the body of Christ, to show that kind of love. Um, and a lot of that is in educating yourself in how to do that. And honestly, a large part of that is just shutting up and throwing an arm around someone's shoulder and sitting with them in their difficulty. 
a lot of times that's all they need is to know that they're not alone in situations. So I want to encourage you guys. Now, if you are wrestling with this or someone that you know is wrestling with this, um, Wes is going to be down here. I'll be down here. The other pastors and elders, if you could come down and hang out. Um, we're here. We want to be able to pray with you and, and pray God's peace for you or maybe point you in a helpful direction. Uh, Wes's podcast and social media stuff is here. Um, I was telling in the first service that the problem with this series is you get one week to talk about these massive subjects. So you can't chase down all the important rabbit trails that are there. But he's been writing and speaking and blogging about this for a while. So there's opportunities to go further in some of these things. If you check out his website and podcast. I know some of you actually already are. He said that many people from Heritage are already interacting with him. So I love that. I think that's really, really healthy. I want to encourage you guys to do that. Um, so we're going to just pray for you and cut you guys loose. We'll be down here to pray with you guys afterwards. And otherwise, Wes, we're so stoked that you came out, man. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Can you guys give it up for Wes? Will you guys stand and pray? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Wes and for uh, bringing him to share with us this morning, Lord, for the words that you've put on his heart and for what you have shown us in your word this morning. I pray, God, for Wes's ministry. I pray, God, for the, um, the opportunities he has to spread hope and point people to you, Jesus. And we lift up his wife, Lord, with the medical condition she's wrestling with and with Wes, Lord, just, just having wisdom and grace in navigating that. God, may you heal her May you be comfort and hope to him and to her both. And may you use him and his ministry, Lord, to spread that same hope to others. And Father, in the end, I just pray that all of us might live um, with that eternal perspective, Lord. Not, not trying to fake it, but just trusting you in the difficulties that we have, Lord. I commit this morning to you, Lord. We thank you for this time. And uh, may you just heal the hurting amongst us in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Amen. I love you guys. Have a great, great week. Come forward and receive prayer if you have it. Otherwise, enjoy your extra day off. Have a great weekend.